The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Money Movers. I'm Sarah Eisen with Carl Quintanilla, live from Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Today, Oak Tree's Howard Marks here on the unintended consequences of ultra-low rates with more than $180 billion in assets under management. We'll get his outlook for the Fed. Then the straw that broke the camel's back, the CEO of United Airlines casting some doubt on Boeing. United a big winner today after results. We'll break down the state of the industry with the company's former CEO, Oscar Munoz. Plus, he has one of the most in-depth looks inside the consumer. You'll hear from Jamie Salter, CEO of Authentic Brands, owner of names like Aeropostale, Forever 21, and Brooks Brothers. Meantime, markets reacting, as David said a minute ago, to a bunch of corporate earnings in the industrial and the transportation front. Uh, lost some gains, though. Uh, Dow's gone negative, down 140. S&P trying to hold 48.50 here, just a couple of points below, as we look forward to uh, more results tonight from Netflix. And, of course, the macro data heats up in the next few sessions. High bar, I think, for, the, for these earnings, right? You saw the disappointment in 3M, even though it was a profit beat and a 10% slide, because the setup has been so strong, I think, into some of these reports. One of the biggest drivers of the market's rally here to new highs has been the Fed and the many years of ultra-low monetary policy. But that era has come to an end as rates are, have been rising. So what happens now that we're moving from an ultra-low rate environment to what our next guest says is a more normal one? Joining us here on set is Oak, Oak Trees Capital's management co-chairman Howard Marks. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Sarah, Carl. So you have done a lot of writing lately. I read all your memos about the ultra-low interest rates as sort of a setup for where we are now. What's the big takeaway? Well, uh, you know, the Fed took the Fed funds rate to uh, zero at the beginning of 09, kept it there until the end of uh, 21 when they gave up on inflation being transitory. The, the, the rate was zero at, for half that 13-year period, and I think it averaged about a half a percent over the whole 13-year period. So, you know, uh, interest rates are like uh, adrenaline. They're stimulative. Uh, low rates, and I think that the, the rates were artificially low, which meant that the economy and the markets were artificially stimulated. And uh, uh, after 13 years of that, people start to say, well, that's normal. That's the way it's always going to be. My, my belief is that it's not normal and it's not the way it's always going to be. And if rates will be higher, but still not high in the, in the coming years, then it seems to me that that uh, most assets will be worth less than they would in a low rate environment and the, and the economy will not be as stimulated. So where we are right now with these, I would say, higher rates, you would say elevated. Well, higher, history. higher, just not high. Just not high. You know, I mean, so today's is that where we're going to settle. No, I think we'll settle lower uh, because today's just as those rates were artificially low to stimulate the economy. Today's Fed funds rate at five and a quarter, five and a half, is artificially high to cool it off, constrain it. And, but, you know, one of these days we'll declare victory against inflation, and then the Fed will be able to bring rates down from this, uh, I would say, emergency rate to something more normal. So 
You know, I believe that over the next 10 years, the Fed funds rate, currently five and a quarter, five and a half, will average somewhere between, let's say, three and three and a half. Three and three and a half. Yeah. Where, where do you think the neutral real rate is? is it, does it have a three? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's around there. That's, that's why I'm picking it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that you, it, we know it exists, but you can't find it. There's no place to look it up. <laughs> uh, people talk about two and a half. Uh, so two and a half, three, three and a half. I think inflation will be a little higher in the coming years than it was in the last decades, largely because the gains from globalization will slow. And I think that labor is getting a little bit of the upper hand in this country today. So if inflation is two plus, and if you want to have a real Fed funds rate, then you would think that the Fed funds rate would be three plus. The market's been all jazzed up about the prospect of lower rates and the Fed yeah. managing to avoid a recession, the, the soft landing, the immaculate disinflation. I think you call it Goldilocks in, yes. your, in your report. Yeah. Can well, that happen? Goldilocks is not my invention, but over the various points in my life, people have talked about Goldilocks thinking, which is to say, you remember Goldilocks, oh, this one is not too hot and not too cold, just right. Uh, uh, so, you know, the... The belief is inflation will abate. That means the Fed won't have to raise rates anymore. It'll be able to turn dovish and start cutting rates. That means we won't have a recession. And that means, you know, that the, uh, that the economy will uh, do well and the market will do well. And the only trouble is, if you think about it, that's a compounding of positives. You know, that's, and you have, so you have a half a dozen things there which you think will go well. Well, what if they don't always go well? Or what if they don't go as well as people are hoping? You know, it's a funny thing. The Fed has, the, the Fed consensus for the Fed is that there will be three rate cuts this year. The, the, people can uh, impute uh, what is uh, implied by market prices, and that's six cuts. So people think the Fed will do more cuts than the Fed says the Fed will do. And, what, what, you know, is that right? Now, it, there's a lot of funny things that go on in our business. I was listening to you talk about 3M, yeah. one of my favorite companies. I followed it 52 years ago. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what you said was that people are disappointed even though it's an earnings beat. I don't even know what that means in English, uh, it, 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 right? It was, an, it was an earnings rise, just not as, as and, and people had said the earnings will rise, but it didn't rise as much as people had said it would. Well, that could happen with the things we're discussing here. You think the, 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 the bar is hot, set so high now? I think the bar is set high. I think that, look, every day people go to the market to do business. And it's a tug of war between the optimists and the pessimists. And when the optimists win, prices go up. When the pessimists win, prices go down. I think the optimists have been winning for the last 14 months. And, you know, we've had a solid rally in the S&P. And because of the power of optimism. And when 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 the optimism abates or a few less people are optimistic than were optimistic yesterday, then 
then things can soften. It's, you know, you, you want my, I'm a contrarian, I'm a value investor. I try to buy things when nobody else likes them. You can't say that today. Today, more people like them than don't like them. But it sounds like you do think there is value in value names, uh, yeah. in, um, in, in broader market, market structures than narrow, yes? You, you know, when I go on TV, people get me to get, try to get me to say buy or sell. Uh, most of the time, I'm explicitly not a market timer or forecaster. Most of the time, the market is in what I call the zone of reasonableness, at which time there's nothing smart to do in terms of, of uh, uh, trading for its own sake. If you want to own a company, that's a different story, but I want to increase my bet or decrease my bet. No, no. And today, I think we're in the zone of reasonableness. And, you know, it, it, just, uh, it just doesn't pay, in my opinion, to say buy or sell other than when the market is laughably low or laughably high, then you can make these observations with a good chance of success. But in between, I think not, and I think we're in between today. Well, what you are known, obviously, is for fixed income and right. distress. Right. And I, I do wonder if, first of all, where the opportunity is there and whether we can get out of this without seeing a, a, a bigger, uglier distress cycle. Our prime measure of distress is defaults among high-yield bonds. I started Citibank's high-yield bond uh, department in 1978, which is when that world began. And the default rate over my 46 years has averaged about 3.8%. From 10 to 20, 2010 to 2019, there was only one year that got up to the average and the average was like one, not four. So again, an artificially stimulated, defaults artificially suppressed. What if they move back in the direction of normal? What if the default rate for the next decade is two, or two and a half, or three? That will be much better opportunities for the distressed investor. We had a slow decade in which there just wasn't much to do. I think that when uh, interest rates are no longer artificially low, the default rate will no longer be artificially uh, suppressed. And, and do corporate balance sheets or household balance sheets act as a suppressant on any rise in the default cycle? Yes, they're not, they're not too bad. Uh, they're not too bad. Um, but it's, what really matters, is, that's aggregates. What really matters is individuals. You know, uh, 18 years ago, there was about a trillion and a half dollars in outstanding debt of companies rated below investment grade. And today it's close to five trillion. So it doesn't take a big percentage default rate to produce a lot of dollars of, of uh, distressed securities. So this whole notion, I mean, there are some investors out there, Howard, that, that say Fed's going to start cutting rates. Typically, they cut a lot once they start cutting. They're bringing back unprofitable tech companies. Bitcoin's had a really great run. I mean, this whole notion that low rates are coming back, you think, I know you've said this, but just is not happening because of why? Because inflation is going to be sticky? Because, because I think Carl talked about something called the neutral rate which is neither stimulative or restrictive. I think that's where we should be most of the time. And I think that, the, that interest rates should be the natural rate, which is a little different from the neutral rate. It's the rate that 
where interest rates would be if the Fed didn't exist. You know, if, just, if it was just people with money who want to lend it, meet with people who don't have money but you have use for it or want to borrow it, and they negotiate the rate, that, the result is the natural rate. It ain't a half a percent. <laughs> and so I just think we're not going to settle there. And there, there are lots of reasons. Read the memos. Uh, oaktreecapital.com. And by the way, they're, fr they're free. Price is right. Um, but, uh, you know, the Fed had to cut rates to zero to get us out of the global financial crisis, which was the worst financial episode of my time. And then they got into this jam of how did they get, raise them back up without annoying people and without causing a taper tantrum. And they never really solved that problem. Do you think that the next presidential election this year will have a big market impact? And should investors be positioning one way or the other? Well, you know, eight, eight years ago, in November of 16, there were only two things that everybody, well, almost everybody was sure of. Number one, Hillary would win. <laughs> and number two, if by some chance Trump won, the market would collapse. So Trump won and the market went straight up. And if that ain't enough to convince you that, A, we don't know what's going to happen, and B, we don't know how people react to what happens, then I don't know what will. <laughs> I go so far as to say we have no idea. Right. I was going to ask you, but there was a contrarian view at that time. It's hard to glean what that is right now at this point. Well, the contrarian view, yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of my friends are Democrats, the contrarian view. Uh, so the consensus is that they're, they're worried that Trump will win. The contrarian view is that Biden will win. I don't know what it is from the other side. <laughs> well, the good news, Howard, is we will hopefully talk to you many more times before that. I look that forward happens. to that. Thank What's you. the website again? Uh, Oaktreecapital.com <laughs> Oaktreecapital under the heading of Insights. And then there's a button that says Subscribe. I recommend it. Yeah. And it's free, even in this world of higher rates. One of the best yeah. writers ever to write for the street. Thank you Howard very much. Howard, Mark, thank you very much. You Good both. to see you from Oaktree. Up next, our conversation with Authentic Brand CEO Jamie Salter from Davos, owner of brands like Aeropostale, Brooks Brothers, Reebok, his take on the consumer right now. Plus, we will hear from the CEO of UBS, his outlook for inflation and rate cuts. He had some really interesting comments about the markets right now as well when Money Movers returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Authentic Brands Group, one of the biggest voices in the market on the state of the consumer, parent to brands like Aeropostale, Nautica, Forever 21, dozens of others. I sat down with CEO Jamie Salter to talk about consumer sentiment in 2024 when we were in Davos, Switzerland last week. Listen. The world's getting smaller, uh, for sure. Um, business is being done all over the world. You know, there's four big regions, uh, Latin America, EMEA, Asia Pacific, and of course, you know, uh, USA and Canada. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is there's still big expansion really in these international markets. 
uh, China, India, uh, Latin America, Middle East. So I think if you're a company that actually is well diversified, you're going to get upside, you're going to get that organic growth that you need. But I do believe that the U.S. is probably looking at, you know, a flat to, you know, possibly up 5%. But I don't think you're going to see huge growth in the United States this year. Flat to up 5% on growth or on consumer spending? On, on, on really on, business? you know, organic growth, you know, from, from a business standpoint. Why? What's changed for the consumer? Look, I think the consumer at the end of the day, I, I think really that value consumer is probably being hit the hardest. Um, the middle consumer, you know, sort of, you know, middle America, um, I think they're doing probably okay. And then it seems like luxury is definitely taking a hit, uh, at least lately. Now, you know, generally luxury people, they, they, they have a lot of money, so they, they come back pretty quick. But uh, I, I think the value consumer is where we're going to see uh, the biggest hit uh, in, in America and possibly in other parts of the world. How were the holidays? How did they stack up relative to other recent years? You know, we were up a little bit um, in, in fourth quarter. Uh, the holidays were, you know, a little stronger than we, we all projected. But I think that, you know, a lot of companies probably gave back a little bit of their margin in order to make sure that their revenue lines, uh, you know, were, were uptick. And then you're seeing that sort of pain in the value consumer continuing in, into the year, but not recession. Definitely not a recession, but I'm a big believer that interest rates are not coming down anytime soon. Why? There's no need for them. You know, we, we seem to be functioning as a, as a country, at least in the U.S. and other parts of the world, with, you know, higher interest rates. And as long as, you know, we can function with higher interest rates, there's really no reason you know, to, to take them down. And I think they got inflation relatively under control. So, I mean, maybe they'll lower them a little bit, but, but I, don't, I don't see interest like, you know, going back to the levels that we had, you know, three years ago, but could we see a little bit of a dip? Maybe in the second half of this year. But we, you know, from our company standpoint, we're, we're sort of projecting that interest is gonna stay, stay here for a while. What are you seeing on the inflationary front in terms of your categories, apparel and shoes and accessories? Has it come all the way back down? I mean, there, look, you know, we, we sort of look at inflation. Are we buying for the same price today that we bought for, you know, a year ago or two years ago? There's always problems. There's, you know, there's problems right now, you know, from shipping standpoint, you know, shipping rates have gone up again you know, in the last couple of months uh, with the problems with the war. But generally, um, footwear and apparel uh, price points, you know, are relatively the same as what they were a few years ago, as far as, as the FOB costs. I was going to ask if you're being affected by the, the shipping delays in the Red Sea. I mean, definitely, you know, it, it just happened, right? So we haven't felt it yet. But my guess is a couple months from now, we'll, we'll start to feel sort of the pain of, of what's been happening, you know, over the past, you know, four to eight weeks. All of these kind of risks that you're talking about and slower growth, it's not, it's not stopping you from deal making. That's been very active right now, right? How many deals have you done in the I past mean, few months? I mean, there's no doubt about it that we're still on the front of, of buying, you know, great brands at, at, at great value. Um, you know, interest rates being higher, you know, should we be buying 
for lower multiples? I guess the, the answer to that question is probably yes, but because interest rates are, are where they are, it's putting an enormous amount of pressure on some really great companies out there that you know, have to go for refinancing and they can't get the debt that they've had on their, on their books in the past because interest is three times what it was you know, three years ago. So it's, it's giving us you know, big opportunities to go big game hunting. So we're looking at you know, a number of great consumer brands, um, not just in America, but also you know, in Europe and other parts of the world. And we're, we're quite optimistic that 24 is gonna be a very robust year for Authentic. More deals coming. More deals coming. One of the opportunities you took this year has been, and we've talked a lot about this, the partnership and investment in Shein with Forever 21. How's that going? It's going well. Um, look, we, 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 did, we did the deal with them. We did it the back half of, uh, of last year. Um, so we can only make so much change uh, for fourth quarter for Christmas time. Wherever we, we did pop-up stores with them, with Forever 21, incredibly successful. Successful for Shein, successful for, for Forever 21. It's clear that uh, they have a similar customer. So now that uh, 23 is over, <clears throat> we are planning to open up a lot more shopping shops and also a lot more pop-ups with Shein and also um, really you know, making the, the Shein website uh, more robust with more Forever 21 products on their site. Finally, you, know, you're, you have a lot of perspective on the li licensing, right? That's the, big, that's the business and copyright. And I think the other big topic of Davos has been AI. I'm sure you've been part of these conversations. And I do wonder about the whole copyright intellectual property issue around fashion, your business, and AI using that, and whether you get paid. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it that AI, it's good, okay? There's gonna be issues with it, there's gonna be problems with it, uh, just like social media has had you know, issues and, and problems with it. They're getting in front of it. They're getting smart about it really quickly. So they're gonna put lots of rules in place on sort of what you can do and what you can't do. You can listen to the entire interview by subscribing to our Money Movers podcast. But we did talk about a number of things, you know, for, the, for a company that is moving fast and has raised a lot of money. I know you, I always ask him about an IPO, but they, they're, they raised 500 million last year from General Atlantic. They've raised money from Sovereign Wealth Funds valued at more than $20 billion. Not clear whether an IPO is coming anytime soon, but they're doing a lot of the deals in the meantime. And I thought it was interesting what he said about the consumer that we're handling these high rates pretty well. Uh, yeah, as long as uh, real disposable income growth continues. Interesting to hear Proctor today say they're seeing signs of trade up in the United States at least. I thought, yeah, which would benefit their brands and is very different than what they saw in the 08, 09 recession where they were, the company was in a different place, but one of the telltale signs of the consumer weakness was that they were going down to, to private label brands away from those, away from those yep. brands. So Salter echoing the kind of consumer strength. While in Davos, I also spoke with uh, another big corporate leader, UBS CEO Sergio Armadi. We talked a lot about the markets, the impact that rising rates and geopolitics have had on client behavior over the last year and a half. Listen to what he said about it. There has been a huge shift in the last 18 months with rates going up, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, both as short term uh, uh, 
money market, but also bonds investments has become a more of an attractive asset class than we had in the past. And uh, and uh, the uncertainties, uh, particularly on the geopolitical front, has put a little bit of uh, uh, questions around uh, clients' confidence. Uh, uh, we do expect for this for this year uh, uh, still a f- fairly challenging environment. So I think that uh, the markets, in my point of view, uh, is still complacent about uh, the you know central banks uh, cutting rates and uh, and is still too complacent about the inflation coming down. And therefore, we will see uh, volatility uh, in in financial markets, which may become an opportunity also to to step in and and and. Uh, pick up some good opportunities, both on the credit front, but also on, on the equity side. I thought he was kind of negative a little bit on the markets. You can catch that full interview with Armadi, along with Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, on CNBC as part of our Leaders from Davos series. We go really deep into the integration, but how about him saying the market's too complacent about rate cuts? He's been pretty vocal on uh, the risks of the private credit world, obviously. Something yeah. you'd expect a legacy banker to say, perhaps. And we talked about regulation and what was coming and what the lessons were from that sort of shotgun marriage between Credit Suisse and, mm-hmm. and UBS last year, where he was called off the soccer field to come in, come back in as CEO and put these two together. And what kind of hard work he still has ahead, including more potential layoffs. That's going to be great. Uh, 8 p.m. tonight, yes. of course. Thank you. Later on this hour, look at United and how the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX 9 is going to impact the current quarter with the former CEO, Oscar Munoz. Plus, Carl mentioned P&G. Mixed quarter, earnings beat, price hikes boosting revenue, but still reporting a miss. Plans to write down Gillette and restructure certain markets, narrowing the earnings outlook. Best day for the stock in nearly four years, in fact. We're back in two. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. European markets mostly lower ahead of Thursday's ECB rate decision, but it is China that's capturing investors' attention abroad today. Bloomberg reporting that the country's considering a 2 trillion yuan or roughly $278 billion rescue package to help shore up Chinese stock markets. The funds would primarily come from offshore accounts of state-owned enterprises. The report is boosting the markets. The benchmark CSI 300 index, Shanghai Comp, Hang Seng, all up, still near multi-year lows. Also, some news out of the Bank of Japan, keeping its ultra-loose monetary policy intact for now. But the BOJ governor did say that the era of negative interest rates could end soon as higher wages boost sales and services prices. About one-fifth of investors see a March hike as possible. A majority of investors aren't expecting a move until April. A little boost for the Japanese yen there. But the China story is, is interesting because it did seem to boost sentiment for stocks, commodities, everything tied to China. Question is for how long and and are they going to address the problems in the real economy and will it work? I keep thinking about Jim Cramer calling it fraud. Yeah, I mean, their hands are tied to some degree by the amount of property debt. It's not like they can just go uh, willy-nilly on stimulus, but we continue to look at charts of China versus Nikkei, China versus the NDX, uh, just completely going in opposite directions. Let's get a news update this morning with our Courtney Reagan. Hey, Court. Hi, Carl. Well, the Israeli army says 21 soldiers died Monday in the deadliest attack on IDF soldiers since the Hamas raid that triggered the war in Gaza. 
The incident could add to mounting calls for a ceasefire as Israeli officials say they proposed a two-month pause in the war in exchange for the release of hostages held by Hamas. Meanwhile, the Hamas-run health ministry said today 195 people died in Gaza in the last 24 hours. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made his first public appearance today since he revealed his prostate cancer diagnosis following a secretive hospitalization earlier this month. He participated from home in a virtual meeting with the nations providing assistance to Ukraine. And California State University faculty members reached a tentative agreement for a new contract. After walking off the job Monday, 30,000 people went on strike in the largest public university system picket in U.S. history. The deal, which includes a pay raise, still needs to be ratified by the union. Carl, back over to you. All right, Court, we'll check in soon. Well, we, uh, we all know what tech has done over the past year, but is healthcare about to have its breakout moment as well? We're going to discuss that with Morgan Stanley's Sherry Paul after a break. Way through the hour, get a check on the markets with our next guest, who says it's time to stop obsessing over recession fears <laughs> and focus on finding value in what she's calling a new industrial revolution. Joining us here at Post 9, Sherry Paul, Managing Director of Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. And it's always great to have you on set. Thank Thanks you. for coming back. Yeah, in. it's my pleasure. You, the, the running theme for your commentary is stop obsessing about things yeah. that might go wrong and maybe think about things that might go right. Yeah, things I think are going to turn out better than people usually believe they are. And it takes a lot of effort to kind of snap out of a negative mindset. I mean, like, like the brain has to adjust to something new and exciting happening. And I believe we're right in the middle of it. And I really want to make an appeal to investors to stay focused on this thematic underpinning of industrial revolution, AI innovation that's going to produce basically um, a productivity price, you know, cutting enhanced bull market, which is which is a different kind of bull market than we've had in the past, which has been more expansive oriented. But this is like about productivity and cost reduction. So however those price to earnings ratios can expand, the market will take it. So you talk about not a price to earnings multiple, but a price to innovation multiple? Yeah, so I'm really trying to educate investors, maybe rethink about the word combination a little bit more. So we go price to earnings to price to innovation, price to PEI, price to earnings to growth. And uh, it's worth it to pay the premium at this point because it's a very different kind of innovation market that we're in versus where we were in the 2000s, um, where that was, you know, new technology emergent without earnings. Here, we have the technology. We're now going from enablers to installers. And I think that companies that do that are going to be on the winning side of um, profits growth. I feel like, Sherry, there's there's more an obsession lately with everything being good than everything yeah. being bad. Like we've gotten over the recession thing and now everyone's mm -hmm. obsessed with the soft landing and lower rates and AI. And we're wondering if there's too much positivity. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that you put it that way because too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Um, and uh, we know that consumer sentiment is often a contrarian indicator. Like last year, people thought things were going to be terrible and we ended up with the market up 26%. So what I'm suggesting that investors do is go right down the middle of this market um, with an overweight in equities, extending bond maturities based on expectation for Fed uh, cuts, and then to really break open the S&P and be very careful about sector selection, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm recommending healthcare right now. It was one of the worst performers last year. Uh, great dividend yield, relative PE, and a tremendous opportunity for vaccine innovation using new technologies. That said, there have been some extreme losers and winners even within that space. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, so you buy it as a bucket or how selective? 
are you supposed to be? Well, you know, um, I wouldn't get too cute. Um, it depends on how much money you have to invest. You know, I break apart the S&P and use the exchange-traded funds at the sector weight. Um, but if you have uh, the sizable portfolio that can endure single stock selection, it's going to be crucial to pick the right companies. I think that's true across the board, though. You are looking for about 100 basis points of cuts, right? That's the house view yeah, the beginning house in view, June? Yeah, yeah, second half of the year we probably see those cuts, although I would expect that the Fed does a lot of jawboning, which they've done over the last four years, and they start to sort of test the market for the cuts by talking about whether or not they're going to do it or not. You know, this has been a very chatty Fed in terms of leading the market, and the markets have reacted to that kind of like pillow talk from the Fed. So we'll see if they actually follow through. <laughs> I like that. Are you fielding questions from clients at this point about the election? Yeah, you know, thank you for asking that because as we go into this election cycle, what I'm saying to clients right now is don't allow a political headache to turn into a portfolio heartbreak um, because we really want to decouple um, political volatility from this opportunity of industrial uh, revolution volatility that's occurring in the market. And so we know statistically that markets tend to kind of outperform after presidential elections. We've got a good setup in the current year. And so while I am talking to clients about how they may feel about the, the, the politics, we're focused on the math and science of investing in terms of constructing the portfolios and trying to get them to separate the two. So don't do anything about it. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade your portfolio based on a party that you believe will be in power um, because none of that disrupts the underpinnings of thematic innovation. It doesn't take away any of the AI trade, right? I mean, that really becomes more policy disruption, which takes years for Congress and the Senate and the president to sort of put together the sausage making. And typically that's in the planning-based area of the market, like for taxes and things like that. Sure trade and tariffs and all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we'll have plenty of time to talk before we get there. It's great mm -hmm. to see you. Thank you for coming yeah, in, Sherry. thank you. Thank uh, you. Sherry Paul. More layoffs at Alphabet and the continued search for revenue outside of advertising. That story when Money Movers returns. The slow drip of layoffs at Google continues, this time with cuts at X, its innovation lab responsible for moonshot projects. That's the focus of today's Tech Check segment with our Deirdre Bosa. Deirdre, what do we know? Slow drip indeed, Sarah. It feels like we haven't gone a day without some kind of headline. But in this era of efficiency and AI, Alphabet may finally be taking a hard look at its moonshot factory. It is the latest to be affected by layoffs and will reportedly turn to outside investors to help fund its projects and easier allow spinoffs. Now, this comes after years of pressure from Wall Street and heavy financial losses. The other bets division lost more than $6 billion in operating income in 2022, on just over a billion in revenue. Activist investor TCI wrote in a letter a few years ago, quote, Alphabet's investments and other bets have been unsuccessful, and they called on management to cut losses by at least 50%. To be fair, progress has been mixed. X is where the company pursues things that sound undoable, but if done, could redefine humanity. Everything from self-driving cars to ocean preservation to internet balloons. Some projects have proved too ambitious, but others have gone on to graduate into Alphabet's other bets unit and take a bigger role within the company. There's Google Brain, for example, that was the deep learning division. It became the backbone of Google's AI strategy, merging with DeepMind in 2021. Waymo grew out of X as well and has autonomous cars now giving rides all over San Francisco. Google's core advertising business, often called one of the most lucrative and greatest business models of all time. It has paid for these moonshots for years, but this year, the cash cow could be coming under pressure. One, 
Growth is slowing. Two cracks are showing in the Meta Google digital ad duopoly. And three, the DOJ, don't forget, is looking into its ad tech practices. That goes to court this year. And this all makes ambitious and costly side projects less palatable. It does raise the question, though, what business could offset a further slowdown in advertising? Something like cloud computing, that might make more sense. And every time I get on the phone with current CFO Ruth Porat, she reiterates her commitment to investing in cloud, guys. But this idea of how is it going to diversify away, it hasn't had to, but increasingly may look like it need to. Uh, it's interesting, Dee. There was a commentary yesterday, I think it was the B of A desk, that basically argued we are still in a uh, CapEx arms race, at least among the, uh, the big yeah. mag seven or the cash rich uh, behemoths. Uh, does any pullback on moonshots mean that CapEx is also at risk? Um, that's a good question. I would. What it looks like so far, and this argument we've made before in regards to these layoffs, is maybe redirection, right? CapEx is things like infrastructure and GPUs to enable the building of large language models and this generative AI hype cycle. So maybe shifting towards that, and we haven't seen CapEx slow down. It's only required, this generative AI cycle has only required more. So again, maybe it's marshalling resources elsewhere. And you know that has been a theme, even Senator Pichai's letter, I think it was last week, talking about layoffs in another division. He said that they need to focus and Generative AI is sort of the shift of a lifetime, so that's that's maybe where it's going. But it'll be interesting this earnings season to see across the mega caps how that's looking. Yeah, I mean, the mar- I feel like the market won't forgive you for if you're cutting capex away from AI. But to Deirdre's point, you've got to reprioritize there because as long as you're spending yeah. there, then investors will be good with it. That's yeah. okay, exactly. Yeah. Picking your battles. Uh, D, thanks. Great stuff. Uh, D, Bosa this morning. Uh, In the meantime, United Airlines, the top gainer on the S&P, despite this first quarter loss due to the grounding of the MAX 9, former United Chief Oscar Munoz is with us in just a minute. Welcome back. Shares of United jumping this morning after the company beat estimates on the top and the bottom line, though they are forecasting a first quarter loss after the grounding of the Boeing MAX 9. Uh, The CEO of United on our air this morning sharing some concerns about future deliveries. We're now, best case, five years behind on the original delivery uh, of the MAX 10. Um, And as we've gone through the last year internally at United, we've grown increasingly to believe that best case, the MAX 10 just gets pushed further and further to the right. So we'd already started working on alternative plans. I think this is the straw, the MAX 9 grounding is probably the straw that broke the camel's back for us. Uh, We're gonna at least build a plan that doesn't have the MAX 10 in it. Now, we'll hope that Boeing gets it certified at some point, but we're gonna build an alternative plan that just doesn't have the MAX 10 in it. Boeing did respond to United saying, quote, we have let down our airline customers and are deeply sorry for the disruption. They go on to say they're now taking action on a plan to improve quality and delivery performance. Joining us today, former United Airlines CEO and CNBC contributor Oscar Munoz. Oscar, great to have you back. Good morning. Hey, Carl. Good morning. Streets obviously focusing on the print, which is pretty good. It was leading the S&P at the open today. Uh, Are they underplaying uh, the degree to which this is forcing the carrier to uh, maybe build in some other planning? You know, I I think the markets are very efficient, and I think they see, hopefully, a track record at United, certainly, of making some of these uh, these, their plans come true. And they have a very ambitious growth plan 
Um, you know, I think that the, the company was very transparent with the impact in the first quarter and what it might be for the longer term. But specifically, I think the comments from the company were very upbeat. 24 is going to be a repeat of 23, which was, you know, above everyone's expectations. And so uh, it's a pretty good team. I may know them, a few of them pretty well. Uh, but I have, I think there's a lot of confidence in the leadership team. Yeah, uh, and some definite uh, positive commentary on business travel and corporate. Uh, Kirby said it's taken a, quote, step up. I've seen some uh, positive commentary on the credit card companies today because of what summer may bring in the way of international travel. Uh, are you relying on that kind of backdrop for 24? I think uh, across all my broad business things that I'm doing today, uh, I think generally there's a, again, and you just had somebody on, and we do talk ourselves into some of these malaise. And while there's clearly concerns and issues, uh, there's a lot of money waiting on the sideline. People are expecting lots of things. Yes, it's a political year, and it's going to be all sorts of activity around that. But generally, uh, the market, especially the middle market of folks, are, are back and, and, and certainly flying in the world that I live in. So uh, I always remain bullish because that's just our nature. Uh, but again, it's just feeling stronger and stronger every day, even when you have these kind of hits, which uh, an airline always has. Right. It's like there's never a dull moment in this space. On the Boeing, you know, Oscar, just hearing Scott Kirby say the, the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, there, there was a real frustration there, I think. And he was trying to be polite. How do you think this changes United and Boeing's relationship? Uh, I, you know what, it's a, and he said it, I know it because I have the same relationship. They, we are very strong partners with each other. It is a great company with great people. Um, they've hit, they've hit some rough points and all of that's got to get fixed. And of course, there's going to be some frustration and, dis and disappointment, but they'll come through. I think this, this nine, this max nine issue will pass relatively quickly. The max 10 is something in the future. But again, it's, it's a world where you have to move forward. And, you know, our airline teams can't be sitting and waiting and hoping for things. And so this concept of developing an alternative plan that does not include those maxims is, I'm, something, is I'm sure, something they're working for. How they would do that, how effective that, that would be, um, it's yet to see. But you also heard him say, it's like, listen, we hope they come. We hope it's approved and we hope they're ready to go because it is a big part of it. But it's been a long wait. So uh, the frustration has been going on for some time. Uh, and there will be some conversations and negotiations okay. to some degree. But again, there's only two giant, two large people that do this for a living in this in this planet, and they're both behemoths, and they're all they're both going to be around for some time. Industry's obviously been watching uh, M and A uh, between Spirit Jet Blue and uh, and uh, the Hawaiian potential uh, deal. I wonder uh, on the on the Spirit Jet Blue issue, Oscar, whether or not you think that changes the. Uh, the ability of the fair structure to change. I mean, uh, what, do you, the judge's opinion, this idea that JetBlue kind of lost its way as a discount leader, is that fair? You know, um, that's a big and broad question. So from a standpoint of the specific deal, JetBlue and Spirit, it is a shame because Spirit had a great deal with Frontier, much better aligned, their cultures, their all. It would have been such a better deal, but share owners and the board decided to go with the more lucrative slash more risky deal. And so that is a shame. The laws, Clayton Act and the exact wording of that probably is due for some updating. I'm not a lawyer, 
but your point is exact. It's like, you know, these two coming together would have been a more of an impact on the competitive environment than airlines with now potentially spirit going away and losing all that niche of customers. Uh, I think that's more impactful to the general consumer. So there's a blend of, of um, updates that maybe need to do. Again, not a lawyer, but I think the, I personally think the Frontier deal would have gone uh, down a lot easier than that. As you say, uh, it's such a complex industry uh, from safety to trade to consumer. Uh, we'll watch it in the, in the months to come with your help. Oscar, great to see you. Oscar Munoz. Thanks. Uh, talking some United today. Meantime, uh, markets got the VIX back in the, with the 12 handle as we get PMIs tomorrow. We did lose a little steam from the early morning. It looked like we were going to rally at the open uh, with the S&P. We've given that up, although we're back to the flat line right now. So kind of marching in place ahead of key earnings, GDP on Thursday, PCE on Friday. Yeah, and look for Netflix and Texan tonight. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.